AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. The global climate meeting in Egypt continues through the end of this week, but some of the key participants are making their way home. We'll talk with a representative of the meat industry to get his take on COP27. And it is time for an update on the challenges of shipping grains in the U.S. Live from a shallow seasonal dive into the deep freeze via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Eric Mittenthal from the North American Meat Institute. Then it's Mike Steenhook from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Right after the news, Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. I'm Handsome Newsman Davis Michelson. Now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis, thank you very much. You know, when we were getting ready and I saw that Eric Mittenthal was in Egypt for the conversations, I thought, boy, it would be good to get Eric back on the show. And I was trying to remember exactly why it was that Eric was on the show previously. Well, not only is he VP of Sustainability at the North American Meat Institute, he is also the president of the National Hot Dog and Sausage I've I've got some bratwurst thawing on the counter right now. (laughs) Why does that not surprise me? I've got some seriously. I've got some. I've got a couple of non-alcoholic beers in the fridge. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna beer boil these bad boys and have them for my lunch. All right. The question I have is, who's Mike Steenhook affiliated with? Mike Steenhook is affiliated with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Okay, thank you. Just checking. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody slipped me a note that didn't say that. Oh, <laughs> it was me. I slipped it to myself. Ah, this happens. Soy Transportation Coalition. He is the executive director there at thank you. the Soy Transportation Coalition. That's Coalition, right. yes. Dude, dude, huh? it snowed. I'm groggy today, man. I got to be honest. We got some snow here, too. You know, you cannot get that infusion of pork fast enough is what it sounds like to me. I'm dying. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to make it. Oh, shoot. You know, so as I've mentioned many times, I'm in the timber and Mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. the bunker, the broadcast bunker is out here in the timber. And I'm telling you, there is not a breath of wind. So every twig, every branch, every limb mm-hmm. has got about a half an inch, maybe an inch of snow on it right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a wall of white out there in sounds, the timber right now. Sounds magical. Well, I'm sure that some people will look at it and say, oh, my goodness, isn't that beautiful? Uh-huh. I look at it and say, well, okay, there it is. Uh-huh. Um, it happened again. All right, let's get to the news. What do you got, buddy? Well, sure thing. Let's uh, start out with some daily sales. 230,000 metric tons of corn and 261,000 metric tons of soybeans, both for delivery to Mexico during the 22-23 marketing year. Chip, Mexico is back. Yeah, uh, traditional buyer, a value buyer. They, they've got a certain amount that they need to buy on a regular basis. The guy in Mexico seems to be doing his job. You know, he's got the one job. Yep. Make sure you don't run out. Yep. 
Well, now we've also got some highlights from USDA's crop progress and condition update for the weekend of November 13. Corn, 93% harvested, compares to 85% on average. Soybeans, 96% harvested, compares to 91% on average. Cotton is 71% harvested, 63% on average. Winter wheat, 96% planted, compares to 93% on average, 81% emerged, 32% good to excellent, up two percentage points from last week's good to excellent category, Chip. Yeah, it doesn't matter that the fact uh, that we've got 32% of the crop, you know, right at a third of the crop rated good to excellent, which is terrible, mm-hmm. uh, but it is improving, and that's got the hard red market under some pressure. Well, Chip, the national average gasoline price per gallon has fallen 2.6 cents from a week ago to $3.76 per gallon. That's down 14.3 cents from a month ago, but stands 36.3 cents per gallon higher than the same time last year. The national average price of diesel increased 2.3 cents in the last week and stands at $5.34 per gallon. Diesel supplies remain short, prompting the inverse between gas and diesel. The Iowa Department of Agriculture last week announced an order canceling all live bird exhibitions at fairs and other gatherings of birds. The order comes as Iowa and the rest of the nation face a continued threat of highly pathogenic avian influenza. The order also prohibits live birds from being sold or transferred at livestock auction markets, swap meets, and exotic sales. That order is in place for a minimum 30 days. Chipsum Farm and ag groups are pressing lawmakers to finish immigration reform through the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. The legislation passed the House and awaits consideration in the Senate. Retiring Democrat from Wisconsin, uh, Ron Kind, says it's a complicated topic, but one that needs to be worked out. We really do. You know, we need the, the immigrant labor legislation that I've sponsored for a number of years. It has some bipartisan support, but the problem has always been those that fear that if you just move that, which does have bipartisan support, you can't make the tough decisions then. Better security for the border, making sure we have a more generous immigration and, and refugee policy so that we can bring more people into this country legally, which we desperately need work-wise uh, right now. Well, Chip, in other news, members of the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers have rejected a tentative agreement reached between unions and freight railroads. Amazon will reportedly lay off around 10,000 employees. And wells are running dry in California at a record pace. This was the third consecutive year of severe drought, and the state has already tallied more than 1,300 dry wells in 2022. Chip. Crazy. Crazy how dry it is out there. All right, Davis, thank you so much. And more tech layoffs. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the discussion that you guys had on Friday in the free-for-all on the tech industry was really, really good. All right, let's bring in Karen Bonert, editor of Farm Journal's Milk. Good morning, Karen. Hi, Chip. Okay, so we look at milk prices, and we like to think that, okay, well, milk prices are pretty good. There's not a lot of challenges in the dairy industry, but there's still a huge number of challenges. There is, and um, I had an opportunity last week, Chip, to visit with three producers over our webinar that talked about the biggest unexpected challenges that they faced this past yeah. year. Any guess what that, that might've been? Um, I'm going to go with labor. Actually, their, their top concern was feed and feed price and availability. Okay. okay. In fact, at West in California, uh, Melvin Medeiros shared that silage has jumped 48%. Uh, hay rose by 50%. 
And this producer is located in the Central Valley of California. And he said, you know what, Karen, compound energy costs on top of that. Nobody yeah. anticipated diesel getting as high as it did. Of course, they used risk management and they did it in 90 day increments because honestly, he thought, well, the prices have to have to come down, but they didn't. But says, thankfully, he locked in milk price to help carry him through the second half of this year. You moved to Wisconsin, and they said that buying equipment chip was easier said than okay. done. This was one of the yeah. big challenges he was faced with. They budgeted for it, but machinery inventories are low, as you can imagine. And you can't even get a delivery date on a skid loader. So the repair bills continue uh, on continue to rise on equipment that they've kept around longer than they even wanted to. And I think a lot of dairies can relate to that. In New York, uh, the producer said, you know what? It gets a little scary when fertilizer fertilizers four times the cost of normal feed cost. And normal feed cost is now double what it used to be. That was his biggest challenge this year. Yep. So it's yeah. really, they talk about a lot of things, labor included. Yeah, it's not an easy business when you're working on a margin. Thank you, Karen. That is Karen Bonert, editor of Farm Journal's Milk. All right, we've got Eric Mittenthal up next here on AgriTalk. AgriTalk is brought to you by Rumensen. Rumensen's quality, consistency, and efficiency make it the right choice for your cattle operation. Rumensen, trusted by generations. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Just down a run lane, racing down the interstate, spilled hot coffee down the front of my jeans. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this morning. Of course, Davis Michelson is with us as well. Yes, sir. For a conversation with Eric Mittenthal, he is the VP of Sustainability at the North American Meat Institute and president of the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. Eric, it has been way too long since you were on AgriTalk. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Glad that you are here. And and as I understand it, you are fresh back from Egypt and the 27th Conference of the Parties, or COP27. Uh, is that right? That is correct. Yep. I was over there okay. for a whole week last week. Okay, so tell me about your experience. What's going to leave the greatest impression from the time that you spent there in Egypt? Well, food has never been really a focus at COP previously. Um, there had never been a pavilion for food there, and this year there were four. And so food is very much uh, on, on the plates uh, at, at the COP, COP climate conversations. And 
We wanted to make sure that the positive role that animal agriculture plays for healthy people and a healthy planet was highlighted. And so we very actively engaged to share that story, bring experts over that uh, explain the climate work that the industry is doing and the opportunities that we have uh, for continuous improvement to uh, show the, the role we can play for a healthy, healthy planet. Okay, Eric, when, when you say that there was a pavilion for food, I think of that as that's where you go and you grab something to eat. But this is where people went to have a discussion about food, right? Uh, that is correct. And and there, the, the actual food at COP was pretty sparse. Uh, you, there, there was lots more discussion about food than there was actually food to be had, uh, which was a challenge. I lost five pounds in my week in Egypt. But uh, <laughs> but, but but yeah, there, there are pavilions, uh, more than 100 pavilions, uh, including um, country pavilions. The U.S. had a pavilion and, and many countries have pavilions and then more topically oriented pavilions. And so there was a pavilion uh, that we participated in, which was the uh, Agri-Food of the Americas uh, Sustainability Pavilion. And so led by the Inter-American Cooperative on Agriculture and the Ag Ministers from the Americas, uh, we talked about sustainable food production. Okay, how does this work? Because it looked to me like it was a very aggressive agenda at COP27. Not always. Not only is there always something happening, there is always multiple things happening. What kind of attention did the food pavilion get? Food got a lot of attention. There, there you know, it is a very overwhelming event. There are more than forty thousand people there. There are discussions going on on all kinds of different topics, and then there are the official negotiations, uh, which we were not specifically a part of. Uh, but, but within the food discussion. There, there are, are so many people that recognize that food and agriculture has an important role to play in the climate discussion and farmers and food producers need to be at the table and to be leaders in that discussion. And so we wanted, we, we joined with all the people who were engaged in the food issues to highlight that and to make sure that the voices of those who produce our food are well represented and can showcase the things that they're doing to, uh, to be a positive for the climate. Eric, one one thing that I've wondered about is at meetings such as COP27, where there are different food groups that are represented, whether it be a commodity group or a group like yours, the the American uh, or the North American Meat Institute. Uh, what is there a unified message that is delivered from those that are representing? the food industries. Yeah, the message was very unified from those who are associated with the industry this year. I think it goes back to the the role that uh, food producers and farmers play in uh, creating a a planet-friendly food production system. And so there, there is so much work going on that, that we do uh, for, for all everybody who's involved in the food system to continuously improve our practices, to adopt practices that are beneficial for healthy people and a healthy planet. And we were all working in conjunction to share that story and to make sure that it is included in those climate discussions. You know, when they talk about nutrition and the nutrition value of, of meats uh, and dairy, I'm going to, I'm going to, kind of group animal agriculture together here for just a moment. Um, there are, there's different opinions out there on just how much nutritional value for the climate expense, if, if, for the lack of a better term, I guess, 
but but the nutrition bang for the buck. Uh, how is that being addressed? I think nutrition sometimes gets lost in the discussion, um, particularly at an event like COP, which is entirely based on climate and focused on that. Uh, you, you lose some of that nutrition conversation. Uh, we brought it uh, in partnership with our friends from the dairy sector uh, and others from the, uh, the animal protein industry and, and U.S. Uh, agriculture industry as a whole. And we definitely highlighted the important role that animal agriculture plays uh, to provide really great nutrition. Um, meat, dairy, uh, and eggs are uniquely nutrient dense. And research has shown that they contribute to uh, greater brain development. They contribute to uh, to avoiding problems like stunting, which is very common around the world. Um, and recent research has, has really proven the importance of animal protein uh, for healthy diets. And so we wanted to make sure to highlight that and, and hopefully succeeded in making nutrition a part of that discussion. Good, 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 good. Okay. So what is the situation for the meat industry? How is the industry viewed by other participants at COP27? Well, there is certainly a very substantial uh, anti-meat voice, uh, group sure. of voices there. Um, there were lots of vegan protesters there in Egypt who uh, were, were very loud and, and uh, wanted to share their, their viewpoints. But, you know, we, we felt like, you know, it was important for us to participate and, and share that positive message. And there, there's, there's a lot of work that we need to do to continue to be heard. And I think we need to make sure that we're bringing proof points to the discussion as well. Um, we've been really very focused at the Meat Institute and with partners uh, through our protein pact uh, throughout the supply chain to uh, really have ambitious goals and collect data that uh, provides proof points for to, to utilizing these discussions. Uh, it's not just talk. It, it's, it's backed by data and commitments and work that the industry is doing to uh, improve our contribution for healthy people and, and a healthy planet. And, and we're bringing that to, to the stage there. Okay. Uh, now, as you said, there's always going to be some protesters there. And I've seen some of the coverage of the protesters there that are vegan. And among livestock producers, meat producers, there's a level of skepticism that meetings like COP27 are just infiltrated by the anti-animal ag groups out there and that the ultimate goal is to end animal agriculture altogether. Did you get that feel at this meeting? I would say that would be more of a fringe point of view, at, even at COP. Uh, there are certainly people who, who have that perspective and, and we heard it. Um, but but from those who, who who we would expect to have that perspective, I think we had positive discussions that there is an important role for animal agriculture to play. Uh, there are different viewpoints on the scale and scope of what that should be. Um, but but we think in, in terms of providing great nutrition, uh, feeding people around the world, and doing so in a way that is a positive for the planet is very possible. And so that's something that we, we brought there. And uh, there are some people who will never be able to convince otherwise, but I think the majority of right. people there recognize that animal protein is, is an important piece of the puzzle. Okay, excellent. So what should U.S. pork and poultry and beef producers expect from COP27? It, it, is, is there going to be a new directive or should they expect a continuation of some of the GHG reduction efforts that are already underway? I think there will be a continuation of, of many of the GHG reduction efforts. Uh, our industries have all made really substantial ambitious commitments towards those, and we need to continue to work to, towards those. 
Uh, we need to have the data to be able to showcase our progress. That's really important. And this year was really just the beginning of a longer food conversation at COP. Um, as I mentioned, there had never been a food pavilion there before. There were four this year, and it it just shows the importance of food in the discussion. And we're going to see even more attention to it next year for sure. Okay. Uh, is there any low hanging fruit left for for livestock producers around the globe when it comes to reducing those GHG emissions, or is it an uphill climb from here? Oh, I think there are many things that we can do. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm not yeah, I, yeah. I'm not a climate expert in terms of exactly what those practices are, but there is so much work being done on technologies, on feed additives, on different uh, practices that we can adopt. And the USDA has made really substantial investments in uh, climate smart uh, commodities. And so those are, are going to have meaningful impacts. And so we want to continue to be a part of that discussion and make sure that, that those technologies are being implemented and, uh, and, and being successful uh, for the industry. Well, in, in the meat industry, the livestock industry needs to stay connected to those research efforts and, and be a part of it uh, so that all of a sudden things don't come out of left field. So I can't yeah, believe we, we're out of time. We need to be engaged for sure. That's exactly right. Eric, we need to stay in contact, man. Um, you're, you're a wealth of information when it comes to this, and we certainly appreciate all your efforts. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you, with you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Eric Mittenthal, VP of Sustainability at the North American Meat Institute. Time for Markets Now with the experts from Pro Farmer. Joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, a uh, little bit of a recovery in the corn and soy complex today. What's going on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, facing price pressure overnight. Uh, you know, some of it was tied to, or most of it was tied to the, uh, the hopes that uh, that Ukrainian grain export deal will be extended. Um, but uh, we get to mid morning here, and uh, the buyer or the seller interest has dried up, and buyers have, have surfaced, and uh, soybeans leading us to the upside with pretty solid gains, of seven to eight cents or so here. Uh, but the corn market's also perked up, and uh, wheat it remains under pressure. Uh, with SRW contracts leading to the downside on the Ukrainian uh, grain export deal news, but uh, um, it's come off its lows, and, and that's allowed the corn market to uh, to firm up just a little bit here. Okay, what's your feel on the Ukrainian situation? They're going to continue to be able to move some grain out of Ukraine. Yeah, I, I think uh, that Russia will eventually okay. agree to extend it. Um, you know, they, they may drag their feet and, and probably will right up until the, the final hour. But, uh, um, you know, they don't really gain anything by blocking it, I don't think. Okay. And, and uh, there's going to be too much pressure for them to, to continue on. All right. Very good. We've got mixed trade in the live cattle com or live cattle market. Uh, some strength in hogs. What do you see happening? Well, on the hog side of things, uh, just a minor uptick, only two cents up, but uh, the CME lean hog index is up today, and, and so that uh, breaks a string of uh, recent losses and, and uh, maybe some some hopes that uh, a seasonal low is, is in place and will start to work higher. Uh, I think it's a little bit premature on that, uh, but uh, definitely the price action this morning uh, shows that there's some hope, and at least traders are narrowing up those discounts a little bit. Live cattle futures just waiting on cash cattle trade to develop, and it looks like it'll be firmer again this week. Uh, last week's numbers ended up a little bit better than anticipated. Thanks, Brian. That's Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. 
Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Davis, it is good to have someone like Eric Mittenthal who is participating in these meetings because Mm -hmm. he just seems so logical in how he views what is happening at these meetings he knows that there is a segment of of the people that are are participating in cop 27 that their ultimate goal is just is to just very simply end animal agriculture but he also knows that there are people there that are completely focused on the nutritional aspects of food production let's not worry so much about the climate side of things let's make sure that we're putting nutrition uh, abundant, uh, healthy, safe food in front of the world's poorest. And so it's that balance that I think Eric does a really nice job of identifying and talking about uh, coming out of a meeting like that. Wow. And plus he went someplace where he had to lose five pounds in a week because there just wasn't a whole oh. lot of food available. Yeah, it seems- so- Seems a little ironic and a little suspicious that they didn't feed them. You know? Oh yeah. Like yeah, we need I to mean... address these these problems <laughs> because this is what it feels like not to have enough food. Like that seems a little harsh. Yeah, it does. Eff- yes, effective it does. though, I would imagine. I would imagine. I would imagine. <laughs> All right, let's get into a conversation on moving grain around the country. Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, welcome back. How are you? I am doing fine, Chip. It's good to be with you. I'm glad that you are here. There was another union vote overnight, the members of the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and the vote was to reject the agreement. Mike, I I, <laughs> I don't like the direction that we seem to be headed with the with, with the railroads. No, it's it's not good news. And so the you know, again, there was this tentative agreement in September 15th, and then there was this yep. collective sigh of relief. But then we all knew that the individual unions, and there's 12 of them, that they each would have to ratify the terms of that tentative agreement. And that's what we've been we've been observing, you know, subsequent to September 15th. So seven of the 12 have actually voted to ratify. Now there's three that have actually voted against that tentative agreement, as you mentioned, one yesterday. And you know, there, you know, there's only 
I don't want to diminish anyone, but there's 300 members of this one particular union that voted against it yesterday. And see, the issue is if you don't get all 12 of these unions to all vote to ratify the terms of the agreement, even if one of them uh, votes against it, the concern is, and the expectation is, is that all 12 out of solidarity would, would, would not, would honor that negative vote and they would all in turn uh, elect to go on strike. And so that's, that's kind of where things currently stand. The, the, the earliest a strike could occur is on December 4th. And again, that's coming up. Um, but then, you know, one of the points that I really try to make is a, a railroad strike would clearly halt economic activity, but even the threat of a strike will halt yes. economic activity. And well, those we've of us already in agri- seen that play out, Mike. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and those of us in agriculture understand this because if you're a, if you're a, a manager of a, of a cooperative or some kind of you know, grain elevator, the decisions you're making today are about where you're going to send soybeans and grain, not just today, but next month, two months from now. And I was having a, 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 a CEO of a regional cooperative say to me, hey, I'm wanting to send some soybeans to Mexico, but that would be, some, that'd be a delivery in the future. But without this, with this uncertainty in the, in the rail sector, he's, he's shy about pulling the trigger on that uh, yeah. because, of, because he's not assured that there's going to be rail service. So that's a, it's a real frustration. And so, hey, look, we want both sides to you know, negotiate in good faith, to come to an agreement that hopefully provides benefit to both sides. We're not picking a side in that, but we've got to have a strike a threat of a strike taken off the table. That, that just can't be an option right now. So that's something that we're continuing to really impress upon. We within agriculture are impressing upon the administration, and our congressional leadership. Yeah. You know, I, I absolutely get the point that you are making about the hesitancy to pull the trigger on a sale into Mexico for soybeans, but uh, get everyone think of, of, how many tentacles there are to this situation. And I'll look at the ethanol industry. I mean, holy smokes, you've got to make a decision right now whether or not you're going to continue to buy corn uh, that's going to keep the still fire, that, that's going to keep feeding the still uh, in the middle of December, not knowing if you're going to be able to move the product that you're producing away from your plant later. Uh, that, that, all of that uncertainty showed up in September when we had a big dive in ethanol production. And I wonder, Mike, I know that, that, that uh, uh, you focus on soybeans, but part of our problem with corn exports, I think, is tied to the rail situation as it exists right now because we can move a lot more corn into Mexico, but be, but the corn exporters are dealing the same with the same thing that your soybean exporters are dealing with. So this is is really uh, frustrating. Oh, okay, two unions left to vote. Um, any indication on which direction they're going to go? Yeah, that, that and they're the two most influential ones. So a yeah. lot of these other unions, even the holdouts, it'll be interesting to see if you see a, a approval by those two unions. And one represents the engineers, and one represents the conductors by and large. So that would send a signal if they both approve. Now, obviously, if they don't, 
that will provide a lot of agitation, further agitation within the industry. And you, know, you will see much stronger imploring of, of con- Congress and the administration to, to intervene and to prevent that from happening. So yeah, it's really anyone's guess. Um, but you know, obviously, it really just reminds us of the fact that in order to, what defines a quality supply chain? Yes, it's about cost effectiveness, but it's even more so about reliability and predictability. Yes. That's even more, that's even more important than cost. Shippers are willing to pay additional cost for their transportation if they've got that predictability and reliability. Right. And now all of a sudden we've got this big question mark on our rail sector and it's really imposing a lot of hardship and a yeah. lot of frustration and particularly against the backdrop of a supply chain overall that's under stress and overly subscribed. Yep. You know, I, I don't know if we're to this point yet, but it feels like we're about to be held hostage by the, the unions on this one. And it, uh, it is not a comfortable feeling. Let's go to the Mississippi. Mike, um, there's been some improvement, but (laughs) in water levels, but not near enough to get to full capacity. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're still, so, you know, in late October, that's when things were really acute. And so like Memphis, Tennessee for, to pick an example was one of the the places where it was most dire. They had an almost a a negative 11 foot reading. So negative 10.8 reading and it's all related zero is is the gauge and so anything negative uh in, is in relation to that we're, we're now at negative 5.83 so you've had about a five foot improvement since late october but to give you know just to give a comparison last year on this date we were at a positive 3.52 so about a about a seven to eight foot change which makes a significant difference when it comes to to barge transportation so we're still very low. And, you know, the, the fact is over the last number of weeks, these, these terminals, these barge loading terminals, their storage has been exhausted. Um, you know, the, 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 their loading capacity at the docks because it's more shallow at the dock usually than in the middle of the channel that's, that's impeded their ability to load. So it's continuing to have some real impact. And obviously we're hoping for some continued improvement in water levels, but it really is is continuing to impose a lot of challenges on on this important maritime highway that really accommodates so much of what uh, soybeans that are ultimately destined to the international marketplace. Um, it's an important yeah. link for that. Yeah, dredging efforts continue up and down the Mississippi, or have most of those efforts moved to the south? No, that that continues to to occur, okay. and you know there's some you know important choke points that we're continuing to attend to uh, obviously this additional water level is helping but you know it's something that's going to continue to be conducted yeah you know there's opportunity in low water times to get some projects done that uh, maybe can't be done when the water's at normal levels is anything like that happening to, to, to some extent, but you know, right now it's more about all hands on deck. We need to yeah. attend to these emergency areas. Um, so that's what I'm really hearing is, is that's where we're deploying all of these, these dredge 
you know, vessels to really make sure that we're keeping this shipping channel operating, you know, for soybeans is particularly important because this is, this yeah. is really game time for our exports. You know, this before the South American harvest comes online, 80% of our exports occur between the months of September and February. So, so this is really the time for us to, to make sure our, our, that channel is, is operating as efficiently as possible. So 30 seconds here. I mean, can you imagine with what's going on on the, the, the barge market right now, if we would have a rail strike? I mean, it's catastrophic. It would. And, you know, people are looking for lifelines, you know, given the low water conditions. And yeah, obviously rail is not providing that kind of lifeline that they should. And so we, we obviously just need to take that off the table. All right. We're going to continue to watch it. Um, boy, I hope we see some some agreement between the unions and the railroads and, and we keep things operational. Mike, thank you, buddy. We'll talk with you later. Hey, thanks, Chip. All right. That's Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Davis and I will be right back. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. And welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. We're so grateful you've opted to spend some time with us this morning. Your pal Davis Michelson here. Chip Flory joins. Uh, before Chip and I chat out the rest of the show, let's get to today's Yields in the Fields. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. Chip, we are in Kansas today, West Central, Wallace County, Kansas, where a farmer writes, quote, irrigated corn was strong in a very tough growing season. Dryland acres were a big flop. Yields in the Fields brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic. Dryland Acres, a big flop, Chip. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we, we've had several reports of that from Western Kansas. Uh, but the difference is, is that in 2022, the dryland big flops made their way into Nebraska, into eastern Nebraska, into northeast Nebraska, into southeast South Dakota. And, boy, it was a tough, tough, tough growing season. You know, when we wrapped up um, crop tour the third week of August, I, I believe Pro Farmer put the South Dakota corn yield at 122 bushels per acre, which was way, 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 way under 
where USDA had it at the time, and we caught a little bit of slack for that on South Dakota. Uh, but the the reality is, I, we, USDA continues to bring that South Dakota yield down, getting closer and closer to it. But Kansas, and especially Western Kansas, good grief, you guys, what a tough situation. It's still a tough situation. There's there's not been much relief or improvement in moisture conditions in western kansas uh, at this point it was good to talk as you said earlier with eric mittenthal from the north american meat institute who uh who attended the cop 27 summit yeah. apparently he's been to been to uh several a couple yeah. i don't even know how many there have been like uh 26 well, that seems about right <laughs> because this checks is out the on 27th. that 27th yeah. yeah yeah is that how they okay. do that yeah, I wonder because I'm like, you guys, you're way off. It's 2022, but <laughs> so it's numerical. Yeah. I, you see, I think that there have been years with with more than one. I can't say that for sure, but uh-huh. it seems like a long time for this meeting to be going on. If it's been going on for 27 years and we're still kind of at yeah. the base point of conversation in trying to figure out. Is the nutritional value of uh, of meat production does it offset some of the climate issues that um, that that may be created by animal agriculture? Or animal agriculture might be responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that is something that if it is not settled, let's get it settled because there are obvious obvious and don't look at me cross-eyed over this one there are obvious advantages to to animal agriculture and the nutrition that we can get from meat whether it be pork beef or poultry the the you (laughs) there are segments uh, there are populations around the world and i would say that it's a vast majority of the populations around the world that are not going to be able to go without the protein and the nutritional value that's provided by meat period end of story well including it, the flory ranch yes and same here and it was it was good to hear mittenthal's perspective because it's easy to sort of focus on you know the protesters out front and yeah. we want to you know end this and eliminate that and all these sort of aspirational concepts um but to have <laughs> to have food and animal agriculture there so well represented uh, really is yeah. is something to to keep in mind when thinking about these things. And then there's also the idea I reported must have been late last week. Africa showed up and said, "Look, we can't eliminate fossil fuels. Right? We're, we're going to dive into poverty immediately without fossil yeah. fuels." And so the the perspective coming from the the practical standpoint is it's good to know that that's being represented at such a conference. Well, it's reality. Yeah. It's reality versus, as you say, have said many, many times, the aspirational aspects mm-hmm. of some of these policies. It uh, it 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 is mind blowing to me, and it's it, it. I guess it shouldn't be anymore that sometimes the the practicality or the reality of a situation is forgotten, ignored, mm-hmm. uh, wished wished away. Well, you can wish away the use of fossil fuels as much as you 
as, as you want. The reality of the situation is that fossil fuels are needed to maintain economic activity, are needed to yeah. maintain a safe and reliable food supply, uh, an affordable food supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's what we are kind of built on. Now, should we, can we find better ways of using those fossil fuels and and managing the emissions of fossil fuel use? Absolutely. That's fine with me. But do not talk to me about eliminating it because it's not going to happen for a long, long, long time. Mike Steen here from the Soy Transportation Coalition. My takeaway there, reliability and predictability are where it's at when it comes to the movement of Dude. Uh, People will pay more as long as they can get it and know when it's going to get there and know that yep. it's going to get there. One of the things coming out of the 2012, and th- this this memory was triggered when Mike said that, coming out of the 2012 growing season when we had dealt with such terrible drought in mm-hmm. the middle of the country, in the middle of Corn Belt, uh, was that tight supply, that increase in prices, and all of the sudden, the United States was no longer a reliable supplier of right. corn to the rest of the world. We wiped out four decades of efforts to build up that reliability. And we took it out in one year, under a billion bushels in corn exports, because important countries couldn't rely on us. That is so important. And if it is an artificial an artificial barrier that interrupts the reliability of the U.S. as a supplier of product around the world, that is going to be a slap in the face to agriculture. No question about it. Thanks for joining us this morning. we got Mike Mock, Mike Mock Consulting this afternoon right here on Agritalk.